You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Echoes from the Past, Pictures of the Future, Episode 10 with Daniel Pell. Welcome to Presentation 10 in this series, Echoes from the Past and Pictures of the Future. Our title is A Movement of Prophecy and an Approaching King. A Movement of Prophecy and an Approaching King. Let's pray as we dive into, before we dive into our study tonight. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we can open your word again. We are grateful that we can turn to the pages of the book of Revelation. And that, Lord, we have the confidence that we can understand this because you have promised that it is indeed a revelation. It is a revelation from your Son, from Jesus Christ, to us. So please send your Holy Spirit, guide us in our study. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to turn right back to the book of Revelation where we have been spending quite, an, uh, quite a bit of time already. And we have now come to Revelation and the 8th chapter. But before we turn there, I want you to take notice of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. In the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus introduces himself to John on the island of Patmos. And he introduces himself in a special way. Take notice of verse 5. It says... And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Jesus here is described in three ways. He is described as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, it's interesting to note that in the book of Revelation, we encounter three, um, three times the number seven in a sequence. We, we, there are more number sevens in the book of Revelation, but we have three sequences of seven. We have the seven churches in, in chapters two and three that we already studied. We have the seven seals that we find there in chapter six, um, mostly, but also uh, reaching down to chapter eight and verse one, which we just looked in our last presentation. And then we also have the seven trumpets that we will be looking at in this presentation. And so we have the seven churches followed by the seven seals, followed by the seven trumpets. Now, these three ways that Jesus is described in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 comes back at the end of each of these sequences. It's interesting to note that at the end of the sequence of the seven churches, to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea, Jesus is introduced as the faithful witness, the faithful witness. When you come to the end of the second sequence of seven, the seven seals, you will find that in the seventh seal, it talks about silence in heaven, when Jesus comes with all the hosts of heaven, and then there will be a great resurrection, and that resurrection is only made possible because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, and because he rose, there will be many that will rise at the end of time at the resurrection. And then you look at the seven trumpets that we will look, be looking at tonight. And at the end of the seven trumpets, in the seventh trumpet, Jesus rules as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So just as Jesus is introduced to us in chapter one as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. So we see these characteristics of Jesus coming back in the prophetic sequences and stories and prophecies of the book of Revelation. We have already looked at the seven churches. We have also studied the seven seals. And so tonight our attention turns to the seven trumpets. And this we find in Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8 and 9 and then the seventh trumpet eventually in chapter 11. But we will begin in chapter 8 and take notice of the setting in which the seven trumpets are spoken or the seven trumpets um, are prophesied. We have here chapter 8 and verse 2. The Bible says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. 
Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And so the scene that we behold just previous, just prior to the outpouring of the seven trumpets or the outpouring or the sounding of the seven trumpets um, is a scene of the sanctuary, a scene that we are, um, have been a little bit familiar with as we've been going through the book of Revelation. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of sanctuary language in the book of Revelation as Jesus appears as, as, as in a priestly garment and, uh, and, and here we read about a censer which also reminds us again of the sanctuary services. Now, when this censer is cast to the ground, it is actually a symbol of judgment that is now coming upon the nations. When the censer is cast down, it is, we could say, the close of probation. Now, when you come to the very end of the trumpet, um, uh, the, the, the seven trumpets, and you come to the very last trumpet, the description in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19 tells us again, gives us again a sanctuary uh, picture. It says in verse 19 of chapter 11, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. So what is seen in heaven? The Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was found in the sanctuary. And if you study the earthly sanctuary, you might remember that in the earthly sanctuary you have an outer court, then you have the holy place, and then what was known as the most holy place. And in the most holy place you would find the Ark of the Covenant which contained the law of God. Now, when we come to the seventh trumpet, and we're going to, of course, go through these in sequence, but as you read here about the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 11, it talks about the temple of God being opened. So the sanctuary in heaven is seen, and in which part of the sanctuary are we looking? We are looking into the most holy place because the Ark of the Covenant is now seen. So there is also a sequence in the trumpets that bring us ultimately to the time that Jesus, as our high priest, is in the heavenly sanctuary in the most holy place and the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments, are on full display. Now, this is to set, uh, to, to, to create or to picture a setting of the, um, uh, the trumpets here because some people, they put the trumpets in the future and they say that all the trumpets are still going to happen. Uh, what we will see, though, in our study is that many of the trumpets are in the past and that we are actually living in the sounding of the seventh trumpet. As we have seen with the other sequences, we are living in the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. We are living, well, in the sixth seal that will about to be peeled off, and then the seventh seal will ultimately be the coming of Christ and those events around that his coming. So we are living in the end of the seven churches, we are living in the end of the seven seals, and so we will find out that we are also living in the end of the seven trumpets. And so these three sequences really correspond in many ways. The seven churches, you could, you could you know, sum it up maybe like this. The eyes of God on the churches describing their internal condition. As, you went, as we went through the seven churches, it was almost like a prescription from the physician. It was almost like a prescription of Jesus himself. This is what the church is like. This is its strong sides. This is its weak sides. This is what it needs to do. And the promise is then given of the reward if they are faithful. So it's almost like the eyes of God on the churches describing their internal condition of the church throughout the ages from the days of John until the second coming. And then we look at the seven seals. The seven seals are like the eyes of history on the events during these centuries. And the seven seals in many ways correspond with the seven churches, but rather than looking at the internal condition, it's looking from it from another angle, more externally, at the events in these centuries. And as we come to the seven trumpets, we're again looking at a similar period of time, but now we are looking at the judgments of God upon the powers that oppressed his people. Now, you will find that when you do a little bit of a study on trumpets in the Bible, many times the trumpets correspond with the judgments of God. You might remember the story of uh, the Israelites when they marched into Canaan to possess the land. 
they came to the city of Jericho, and the city of Jericho had these huge walls, and they could not uh, conquer the city. And God gave them the command to march around that city seven times each day, one time. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around it seven times. And when they were finished with marching around that city on the seventh day, they were to blow their trumpets. And what happened? The walls came crumbling down. It was a day of judgment upon this heathen nation. And God had the victory. And so judgments are often connected. We could go to many, many more stories in the Bible where judgments are connected with, uh, sorry, where trumpets are connected with judgments. Now, we also see here in the book of Revelation, as we connect again, we look at the Old Testament stories and we correlate that, we correspond that with the prophecies, we will see that the seven trumpets in Revelation are also judgments upon the nations that have been persecuting God's people throughout the ages. Take notice of Revelation chapter 8 and verse 5. The setting makes this very um, uh, apparent. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it down to the earth. It's almost like a picture of probation closing upon these nations. And there were noises, thunderings, and a, uh, sorry, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. When you look at the fall of Babylon, you might remember there in the story of Daniel, as we looked at that story, this writing appeared on the wall, and the king uh, in Babylon at that time, he, you know, he, he could not read the writing, and he was amazed and afraid. And when the prophet came and interpreted the writing, it said, you are weighed in the balances and found wanting. You have been investigated, but now you are judged. And right that night, Babylon fell, literal Babylon fell. So it is also with spiritual Babylon. There is a spiritual Babylon in the book of Revelation that is also, um, and this is really the language of Revelation, they have, uh, she has filled her cup with iniquity. The iniquity of, of, of spiritual Babylon that is, that is uh, symbolized or pictured uh, as a harlot has come to its fullness, and so there will also be a time of reckoning. There will be a time of judgment. And, of course, we can, as we look at the powers that have opposed God's people throughout the ages, significant powers that have opposed God's people are um, prophesied and mentioned in both the books of Daniel and Revelation. Now, if we back up just a little bit and we go back to Revelation chapter 6, you'll remember that under the fifth seal, there was a question that was asked. And let's go back there because this really ties in and will help us to understand uh, the trumpets um, better. It says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to 11, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So the question of those that died as martyrs during the long, dark ages, and this was, by the way, when you look at the uh, period of the seals, this matched right in, our, uh, in the prophetic panorama in the days of, uh, the historic panorama in the days of the dark ages. The question of the martyrs is, how long, Lord, until you judge and avenge our blood? How long until you are going to um, judge these nations that are persecuting us? Now, who were the persecuting powers, particularly throughout the ages against the Christian church? Well, clearly it was pagan Rome and papal Rome. Rome in its two phases. First, pagan Rome, particularly during the second century and third century, but then it became papal Rome as the persecuting power for many centuries to come. What we are going to see in the trumpets, which are judgments of God, is the fulfillment of this question. God is judging. God is going to stand up for his people. And he pours out these judgments upon pagan Rome and papal Rome. And so let us take a look at the trumpets uh, with this in mind. So let's go to Revelation chapter 8. And I'm just going to read through uh, verses 7 to 13, which are basically the first four trumpets. The first four trumpets. It says... The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain, burning like with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. 
Then and a third of the living creatures and uh, sorry, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So here we read about the first four trumpets, and then a woe is pronounced because the coming trumpets are going to get even be more severe, the three that are still to come. In total, we have seven. Now, as, we, as I just read through these four trumpets, um, of course, this is a lot of figurative language that is used here, but an expression that returned over and over again is a third part, a third part, a third part of this and a third part of that was affected. Now, when you look at the history of pagan Rome, you will note that um, the division, a division was made in the Roman Empire, and it was divided into three parts after the emperor Constantine. Con the division was made at the death of Constantine between his three sons. Now, his three sons were Constant Constantius, Constantine II, and Constans. Now, you know, they didn't have really original names at that time. So, But here you have the three sons of Constantine. Now, Constantius possessed the east part of the kingdom, of the empire, and made Constantinople um, the metropolis of the eastern empire. So, so he moved his capital, as we've learned earlier. And Constantine II, he held Britain, Gaul, and Spain, and then we have Constance, and he held um, Africa and Italy and parts of Illyri uh, Illyricum. And so we have the division of the empire, and we're really looking here at specifically a third part that was affected in these attacks that we read about in the first four trumpets. We're looking at four remarkable events that led eventually to the downfall of the Western Roman Empire. Now, the regions that we're looking at here are particularly of Constantine II and Constans, and this is the Western Roman Empire, the downfall of Western Rome. And so when you look at the first trumpet, and let me just read it again, it's only one verse, in Romans chapter 8, sorry, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 7, it says, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. The first attack, the first significant attack on the West Roman Empire, which was a third of that division of that great empire, really happened in the days of Alaric, which was, a God, which was the leader of the barbaric tribe of the Goths. This was the first great invasion, which led to a series of invasions leading to the downfall of Western Rome. Now, these wars began in about 395 AD, and he was really this vicious uh, barbarian that just marched into Rome and um, uh, into the Roman Empire and started conquering and just left devastation behind him. Uh, he was known for um, burning, uh, you know, uh, villages and towns that he would pass through, uh, just as it describes there, as the grass was burning, there would just be a, a, a fires behind his trail where um, this, uh, these Goths um, conquered. 
And so we have the first uh, four trumpets significantly describing four attacks that were made on a third part of the Roman Empire after its division, which were majorly affecting an empire that had persecuted for many years God's people. It is a judgment. It is a trumpet of God, a judgment upon these nations. Now, the second trumpet, which was really the second significant attack on Rome, was by none other than the Vandals under Genseric. Now, when Genseric attacked Rome, or when he attacked the Roman Empire, uh, in many ways um, he worked similar to the Goths and also left a trail of fire behind him. Uh, he was known particularly for um, the destruction that he left. That's why we get the, the word in English, uh, vandalism. You know, it's to destroy. It's to, and so it comes from the vandals, the vandals that were led by uh, Genseric. Now, in AD 428, and between AD 428 and 468, the Vandals attacked also the navy of Rome, and they burnt their ships, just like we have that description in the trumpets of the burning uh, ships. Now, the third trumpet is the attacks under Attila the Hun, and this was the third significant invasion uh, upon Western Rome. And um, he regarded himself as devoted to uh, Mars, the god of war. And the principal operations of Attila were on the regions of the Alps, where the rivers flow down into Italy. And so he would come from that area and attack violently into the empire of Rome. And then the fourth trumpet um, can really be... Uh, and when we look at the fourth significant attack, can, can, corresponds with the career of Odesser, the barbarian monarch. And it was really under this um, uh, attack that the final downfall took place of Western Rome. And uh, it's interesting in the description of the trumpet, it said the sun, moon, and the stars were struck, causing darkness. And, you know, the light of Rome was really going out as the government was defeated during this final um, attack, during these final attacks, which led to the overthrow in approximately 476 um, A.D. So very interesting to note the first four trumpets as being four significant attacks that we see in history upon Western Rome at that time. And now we move to the fifth trumpet, which now is a little bit of a transition because now we're looking at an attack not on Western Rome, but an attack on Eastern Rome. And also these attacks are coming closer and closer to the time in which there is this transition between uh, pagan Rome and papal Rome. As papal Rome comes uh, into power, uh, we see how God is, is, is judging um, uh, both pagan Rome and papal Rome through these um, attacks that really significantly weakened the power of Rome to um, persecute the Christians at that time, the true followers of, of, of Christ. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, that brings us to the fifth trumpet. And we read in, Genesis, in Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, listen to the description of the fifth trumpet. Then the fifth trumpet sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like a smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and them was given power as the scorpions of the earth had power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them. And then a time period is given. For five months, for five months, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes man. And then actually the rest of the verses here under the fifth trumpet, they go on to describe these, this locust army and what it looked like. And it talks about that, you know, that they, were, they came with many horses to battle. Um, they had long hair, like women's hair, it said. They had breastplates of iron. And it's really a description of this, this fierce army. And really when you read the description, it seems like this desert nation, this nation coming from the desert that is now attacking um, eastern 
in Rome under, um, as you look at this, as, at this time period that we're um, focusing on here, at the downfall of the Roman Empire, um, the Ottoman Empire were those that um, attacked Eastern Rome during a period of um, nine, about 20, uh, 1299 to 1449. Now, this is a significant period because in the very prophecy, in the very trumpet, we have a time period mentioned of five months. Now, of course, we have already been looking at the principle of the day year in Bible prophecy where a prophetic day or, prof- or a literal uh, a prophetic day is... Uh, a literal year, representing a literal year. And so if you would take five months, you would have a period of 150 days, right? Which would be 150 years. Now, in a biblical month, we have 30 days to make it easier to understand because if we would have 30 and 31, that could uh, get very complicated. You actually find that out in the story of Noah where it talks about um, uh, the period that they were in the ark and you then calculate it with the months that are mentioned and you find out that a biblical month has 30 days. And so what we have here is a period of five months or 150 days prophetically uh, or literally um, of a time period of attacks from this, this, this nation against Eastern Rome and really it corresponds in history with the attacks of the Ottoman Empire upon Eastern Rome. And um, these attacks began on the 27th of July 1299 and they lasted to the 27th of July 1449. This prophecy really shows that it was not a complete conquering that was going on but it was a weakening of Eastern Rome. They did not utterly kill, it says, but they weakened, they tormented. That's the language that the prophecy uses there. Now, as you come, as we now continue in the next um, trumpet, the time period continues and we have another prophecy that is given there that is very significantly bringing us to the end of this Ottoman Empire, which also, again, corresponds with history. And so prophecy and history go hand in hand here. Let us look at the next trumpet, the sixth trumpet, which is described in Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red. And then it goes on to describe this great, great army that goes forth not only to now torment, but those goes forth to kill and utterly destroy. Now a period is mentioned here in the, in the fifth trump, or sorry, the sixth trumpet. And that period is mentioned in verse If we go back there to verse 15, it says an hour, a month, sorry, an hour, a day, a month, and a year. Now, if you take this period, and I put it up here on the screen, a year, a month, a day, an hour, and you calculate that according to the day-year principle, then a year would be 360 years. A, a, A literal, a prophetic year would be a literal 360 years. Um, a, a, a literal, a prophetic month, sorry, would be a literal 30 years. A prophetic day would, of course, be a literal year. And a prophetic hour would be 15 days. This is when you put in the principle of Bible prophecy, one day equals, one prophetic day equals one literal year. So I, I, I think that makes sense. So if you have a year, then you have, had, have, of course, 360 days. But it would not be 360 days. It would be 360 years. And then you take, you know, an hour, which would be, of course, uh, a 24th part of a year. So uh, uh, I think that, oh, sorry, an hour would be a 24th part of a day. And then you equal that and you come to 15 days. And so you take that, that uh, time prophecy that is given under the sixth trumpet. And since we don't have a beginning or a, 
uh, ending period um, given to us, dates given to us in the prophecy itself, we connect it to the prophecy that is given in the fifth trumpet and you look at history and you see how the attacks began on July 1299 and then for 150 days until 1449 and then you add 1449, you add this period of time which is 391 years and 15 days and you will end up on the 11th of August and does anyone know the, the, the year? 1840, 1840, the 11th of August 1840. And of course the question then is what happened on the 11th of August 1840? Well, on the 11th of August, 1840, the Ottoman Empire surrendered and in essence, it no longer was um, the conquering power that it had been for many, many years. In other words, this prophecy of the sixth trumpet came to a close. Now, very interesting. In the year 1840, there was a man by the name of Josiah Litch, which started studying these prophecies of the trumpets, started connecting these prophecies and these time periods, and actually um, a couple of months in advance, he prophesied that based, or he came with the prophecy based on the fifth and the sixth trumpet, that the Ottoman Empire, which was at that time really you know, making advancements upon Rome, upon Eastern Rome, he said that it would fall in in 1840 on the 11th of August based upon his calculations of prophecy. Now that came to pass and of course this gave great strength to the preaching of prophecy in those days. As a matter of fact, Josiah Litch was part of a greater movement that was preaching out of the book of Daniel and Revelation regarding the great and grand prophecies that were now unfolding. So quite remarkable to see how these prophecies came to pass at that time. Now, we are looking here at a sequence in these trumpets of judgments upon pagan Rome and papal Rome. We see the first four significant judgments upon the Western Roman Empire, and then um, we look at trumpet number five and trumpet number six being significant judgments upon Eastern Rome, and also particularly, uh, this was weakening at that time the power of the papacy to extend its mission in um, persecuting heretics. And so we're seeing how God is even at times using other nations to bring, um, bring about his will. You know, it's just like when you go back to the story of Daniel, um, when the people of God were taken into captivity, um, really God was using Babylon at that time to punish God's people, but then ultimately to, to teach them and to reach them. And then when Babylon had reached its um, cup of iniquity, Babylon was punished by another nation. And so you see how God many times uses these nations um, in the course of history to accomplish his will. And so as we now continue, we are actually not coming to the final trumpet yet because we've now come to the end of the sixth trumpet, but the seventh trumpet doesn't appear right away after this. It appears in chapter 11, and first there's another event that appears in chapter 10. But the event that appears in chapter 10 corresponds beautifully with the time sequence we are right now in because now we've come to the end of the sixth trumpet, so we're in the year 1840, and really the events of Revelation 10 are exactly right um, on the spot as to what happened around that time. Take notice of Revelation chapter 10. And in verse 1 it says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, suddenly John beholds this description of this mighty angel, and we have four characteristics regarding the angel. He's clothed with a cloud, there's a rainbow upon his head, his face is as shining as the sun, and his feet are as pillars of fire. And the question, of course, is who is this angel representing? Well, if you have a closer look at these characteristics, and you look at Jesus in the book of Revelation, you will find that each of these characteristics corresponds to Jesus in the book of Revelation. And so Jesus appears as an angel in Revelation chapter 10 because an angel is known as a messenger and Jesus has a very, very special message. And so he appears as a mighty angel with a mighty message. 
Uh, take notice how Jesus appears in the book of Revelation clothed with a cloud. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So when Jesus comes, he comes with the clouds of heaven. Now you look at Jesus, he had a rainbow on his head in the prophecy of Revelation chapter 4. It says, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in appearance like an emerald. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Of course, Jesus is that lamb that stands in the midst of the throne, and over the throne there is the, the rainbow. So again, this connects with Jesus. Now, what is really the meaning of the rainbow, though? You go back to the story of Genesis, and in the story of Genesis, you will find out that after the flood, the rainbow was given as a sign of a covenant between God and man. And of course, this is the covenant that God wants to make with us. The covenant that God wants to make with us today is that we become um, pliable and willable and, 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 and um, we surrender our lives so that he can write his commandments upon our hearts and upon our minds. This commandment is written in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. What a beautiful covenant that God wants to make with us. Christ also appears as brilliantly shining his face as the sun. We read in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16 that his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And the message here is revealed in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 where it says, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. So the Son of Righteousness is the glory of God that wants to shine in our lives through that covenant that he establishes with us. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is the promise of God that he wants to fill our hearts so that we can be a generation that will put his glory and his character on display. And Jesus appeared as the mighty angel um, with feet like pillars of fire. And, you know, you look at Revelation chapter 115, and Jesus is described as his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in the furnace. And the message here, you might remember the story of the pillar of fire Back in the time of the Israelites journeying through the wilderness, it was the pillar of fire that showed them the direction to go. So what we are seeing here really is when Jesus suddenly appears in Revelation chapter 10 at the end of the first six trumpets, Jesus comes on the scene as a mighty angel and he has a mighty message. And in his very appearance, there is a great message already revealed. Jesus is clothed with the cloud, revealing that he is soon going to come again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is, he has a rainbow on his head which reveals that he wants to establish a covenant with you and with me. His face is shining as the sun revealing that he wants his righteousness in our hearts to shine. And he has feet as pillars of fire revealing that he wants to be the one that guides us in our walk with him. Isn't that beautiful that Christ in his very appearance as the mighty angel already reveals the message of what he wants to do with you and with me at this very hour in which we're living. Now, as we look at Revelation chapter 10, and we continue to read there in verse 2, listen to the message of the mighty angel. He had a little book open in his hand. And so we might wonder, well, what is that little book that is open in the hand of Jesus, is this open in the hand of this mighty angel? Well, you continue to look at the prophecy in Revelation chapter 10, and you find out that little book is none other than the book of Daniel. Now, remember that the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel are twin books. Now, there was a time that the book of Daniel was closed up and sealed. Remember in Daniel chapter 12, when you came to the end of the book of Daniel, it said, seal the book, shut up the book until the time of the end. 
And then it says, many shall run to and fro, knowledge shall increase. Until the time of the end, the book of Daniel would be sealed. But when the time of the end came, the book of Daniel, the little book of Daniel, 12 chapters, would be opened up. Now we are here in around 1840 at the close of the sixth trumpet when this message appears, when Christ comes. The book is opened and this fits exactly with the prophecies because we learned that at the end of the 1260 prophecy... In 1798, when the papacy was abolished, according to, the, according to the book of Daniel and chapter 11 and 12, we learned that that is the beginning of the time of the end. So we're here shortly after that, here in 1840 or around that time, and the book of Daniel is open. It can be understood. It's accessible. And take notice of the message that we find here. It says, he had the little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a, a, a lion roars, when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that, they should, that, that there should be delay no longer. Now, there was a message that was given to John, and it was sealed up. It was heard by the seven thunders, but he had to seal it. So we don't know what that message is. And right after that message is given, probably a personal message to John, then we have a message that there should be no longer delay. There is a time of urgency. There is a message of urgency. Now, what is that message? Take notice of the next words. But in the days of the sounding of which angel? The seventh angel, in other words, the seventh trumpet, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So this fits right in our, in our um, prophetic line here as we see the first four trumpets being the attacks on Western Rome, the fifth and the sixth trumpets the attacks on Eastern Rome, bringing us to the close of the Ottoman Empire in 1840, and then this great message in Revelation chapter 10 where the book of Daniel is now opened up, and what does the angel, what does Jesus himself tell us in this prophecy? He says, delay no longer, the time has come. And what time has come for the seventh angel to sound? And what is going to happen under the seventh angel? The mystery of God is to be finished. And of course, we ask ourselves the question then, what is the mystery of God? Well, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery of God is Christ developed in our hearts, which is really like the covenant that we read about, the covenant that God writes his commandments upon our hearts and upon our minds. The commandments of God are a transcript of his character. And so Christ is to be formed within us the hope of glory. Now, the message of Revelation chapter 10 is very significant because this is to happen while the seventh angel is, is, is sounding, while the seventh trumpet is sounding. Well, the question then is, is the seventh trumpet sounding? Are we living in the time of the seventh trumpet? Well, let's look at the description of the seventh trumpet, and I think we will find out that we are indeed living in the time of the seventh trumpet. Revelation chapter 11 and verses 15 to 19 is a description of the seventh trumpet. Listen to the description. You can read along in your Bibles. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were vo loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the, uh, of the dead that they should be judged...
and that you should reward your saints, your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Now, there's quite a number of events that are described here under the seventh trumpet. And it really describes events as the dead being judged. Now, in order for the dead to be judged, there must be an investigation that is going on. And we have already learned earlier in our studies of the book of Daniel that this investigative judgment began in 1844 when Jesus Christ moved from the holy place into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest to begin the antitypical day of atonement or the opening of the books to review the lives of those from creation even unto those that would be living in the end of time. This investigation is going on as the seventh trumpet is sounding. Now, as you look at Revelation chapter 11 and verse 14, it gives us an interesting insight because it says right the verse just prior to the seventh trumpet, it says the following, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Now remember that you have seven trumpets and you have three woes. You have seven trumpets, the first four trumpets, but then the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet were called woes. There are, remember, after the four trumpets have passed, it says there are three woes to come. And so the first woe is the fifth trumpet, the second woe is the sixth trumpet, and the third woe is the seventh trumpet. It says in the verse just previous to the, seven, to the description of the seventh trumpet, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, the second woe is past, and then it says, behold, the third woe is coming quickly. It doesn't say coming immediately. And that's important because when did the sixth trumpet end? It ended in 1840 with the fall of the Ottoman Empire. When did the seventh trumpet begin? Well, if, it's, if this is indeed the scene of the investigative judgment, which is clearly described in the seventh trumpet, that began in 1844, according to the prophecy that we already learned about in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. And so it is interesting, it says, it is coming quickly. And in those years in between, you have Revelation chapter 10, this great event of the book being opened, the little book of Daniel, the prophecies being studied, and also another event that is mentioned here. Because between 1840 and 1844, there was a great movement that expected the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds of heaven. They anticipated the coming of Jesus because they had an interpretation of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 8 of the cleansing of the sanctuary, but they believed that the cleansing of the sanctuary was not Jesus moving into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, but they believed that the cleansing of the sanctuary was the cleansing of this earth through fire. And so they interpreted the prophecy of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel was opened. They studied the prophecy. They made interpretations of the prophecy. The time period was right, but the event was wrong. And you'll remember there was this great disappointment in 1844 when Christ did not come. And yet they continued to study and came to an understanding that Jesus had moved into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. The seventh trumpet was sounding and now they were living in what we call the investigative judgment hour of earth's history. Now even this very event that took place, this um, bitter, sweet, bitter experience we could call it, is described in Revelation chapter 10. Look at the last verses of Revelation chapter 10 verses 8 to 11. Absolutely fascinating. It says, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, tongues, and kings. What happened? As they took the word of God, it's almost like the, the figurative language here is that they took the, 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 the word of God and they ate it. 
They ate the, it was like the prophecies that they were eating. They were, they were eating the word of God, which is like the bread of life, and it was sweet in the mouth. It was a wonderful experience because they preached that Jesus was going to come. What a sweet message. And yet then it became bitter in the stomach, the bitter disappointment when he did not come. But praise God, they didn't give up. They continued to study. They continued to explore the book of Daniel. They continued to explore the book of Revelation. And out of this time was born what we know the Advent movement. The movement that would not give up but continued to study and came to an understanding of the very hours in which we're living, the very times in which we're living. That Jesus is now our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary preparing the final atonement for us, the final covenant for us, so that when everything is done, when the investigation is complete, he will leave that heavenly sanctuary and come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so they had a new understanding of Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, which says, And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then, the, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. They now understood that there was a heavenly sanctuary that, that was being cleansed. A heavenly sanctuary that was being, where an investigation was going on and that they were living in the judgment hour. And that soon, very soon, Christ would return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But now Christ is in the heavenly sanctuary and you and I are living in the time of the sounding of the seventh angel. We are living in the time that the mystery of God needs to be accomplished and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we can come to our high priest, Jesus Christ. We can come in faith into the most holy place where the ark of the covenant is on display, the law of God. And God has promised that he wants to write his law in our hearts, in our minds. That's the covenant he wants to establish with us. What a great privilege it is to live during the sounding of the seventh trumpet. As we have studied the trumpets tonight, we see that we're not living during the first trumpet, but we are living in the very end during the seventh trumpet. The investigation is going on. The judgment is taking place. But also, under the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world will be given to the kingdoms of God. Christ will come and reign victoriously. Sin will be utterly done away with. And Christ will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And we can make him King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives today. So that we, while the seventh trumpet is sounding, can have Christ formed within us the hope of glory. It's my prayer that we will be able to, that we will uh, be willing to make that decision, to make that commitment, so that he can do in us a work that he wants to do during the sounding of the seventh angel. Let's pray in closing. Father in heaven, we thank you for the seven trumpets. We thank you for the message of revelation. And we thank you that you have promised that during the sounding of the seventh angel, that you will do a work in your people, a work that we cannot do in our own strength, Lord. But we long to have you formed within us. We long to have you write your law in our hearts and in our minds so that we may establish that covenant with you so that we will be ready for when you come. Thank you, Father, for these promises and thank you for these prophecies. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.